Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, buckle your seatbelts for today's epic <laughs> clinical roundtable. Between all of us here today, we have more three-letter acronyms after our names than Daenerys Stormborn Tar-ner- Targaryen has titles. <laughs> We're live at Gotham Podcast Studio in New York, sponsored by nobody. <laughs> Introducing first, sitting across from me, this man is from the great state of New Jersey, a New York licensed doctor of physical therapy. Graduating from Columbia University, newly board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist, managing a busy outpatient ortho practice in Manhattan. He has a black belt in Taekwondo and a passion for teaching pain science. His first time on A Few Good Physios, Dr. Jordan Seda. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a, it's a true honor to be here and uh, looking forward to getting this going. Thanks, man. And introducing, also across from me, returning guest, sitting right across from me, (laughs) this man hails from the strongest state in the country, Rhode Island, a New York licensed physical therapy assistant working with professional athletes, travels across the U.S. to deliver the most up-to-date clinical evidence in conservative management, a former (laughs) baseball athlete. Current badass holds the record for the best radio voice ever. And his episode on A Few Good Physios held the most downloaded for three consecutive weeks. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Matt LaLiberty. Thank you, Matt. I'm pumped. This is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so those are the introductions. If you guys want to fill in anything, please, anything that I missed. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> like, no, I mean, hard to beat that, brother. Yeah, looks like know. you read my biography there. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for I buying didn't. the book. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> my pleasure. So, how do we get started? I think um, I had to get the show notes out. Yeah, we'll get the show notes out, but I think we've been waiting for this for a while, and um, to, this is the first time we've had two guests. Uh, so, I don't know. Where, where are you going to start? Somewhere in the middle? We'll start with the, the latest and greatest topics. We, we threw around a lot of topics, and um, Jordan and Matt kind of responded. I. I think we should start with some of, I guess, the clinical challenges that uh, we face. What do you think, Lee, man? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah, I think one of the biggest things, let's see, in the, um, the yeah, the challenges that we face providers, how about talking about insurance a little bit since that was our last podcast that we did? Yeah, it was pretty, um, just listening it to today for the second time, um, it was pretty heated and it definitely shows a, a clear delineation of practices that accept insurance versus practice that don't accept insurance. So I guess we could start off with Jordan with, uh, I mean, you came out of school working into a practice that accepts insurance. And I mean, what have been your, what's your experience? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, coming out of school, the practice that, you know, I started at and I currently work at, I really thought was, uh, 
you know, the most optimal setting for me coming out, you know, I, you know, 30 minute treatments, you know, I felt like I had a good group of knowledgeable providers surrounding me. It's like, oh man, this is going to be great. Here I am three and so years later. And, you know, in many ways it's still very good. And I, you know, I am able to provide a very high quality of a service to to the patients, you know, regardless of all the insurance challenges, which, of course, are daunting and day to day, it doesn't get any easier to, to provide that quality of care. But, but yeah, it, you know, just trying to stay motivated and trying to get people better, you know, in, in less time. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do not do it. No, it. <laughs> no it's all right. It's yeah. it's it's you that's know, awesome. it's a brand. That's that's great. <laughs> trying to get people better. Period. That's it. Get him out of the clinic. Yeah, get him out of the clinic. <laughs> no, and, and uh, Matt, I, we have Matt, someone on the other side of the spectrum right now. And do you guys accept any insurance? So we're exclusively out of network um, or cash pay. Uh, most of the cash pay is going to be like the pro athlete. Um, mm-hmm. But again, like we're pretty much out of network and we're pretty selective with them too. Um, we've just kind of found that, and by we, I mean like the people who are in charge of me. <laughs> um, uh, have kind of just found like because of the overheads in New York and because of the you know just rent cost, utility cost, that sort of thing, it's just not feasible to be able to deliver the type of one-on-one care we want, you know, without having to have like fifteen people in the clinic to to one PT or PTA and still be able to you know do the things we do. You just can't get the lights on really. So like, yeah. So we we kind of. I feel awful saying it, but like it is a little selective based on the insurance plan that they have and the insurance carrier that they have, which is miserable. But we do do a good job of taking on people who don't have insurance that we would normally take, and we're able to subsidize that based on other people, you know, coming, coming in. in. No, it's. I think mm-hmm. that's selective. I mean, I do that myself. Um, as sad as it is, right? Because you do want to help. I mean, we all got into this profession to help. Um, but like you just said, I mean, to keep the lights on and to feed my family, I, I can't sustain without being selective. Um, but yep, it's New York City. And I was in, also like the fact that the having that sustainability is going to what's going to make you a better clinician. So you're going to be able to take more con ed. You're going to be able to practice the way you, you can to do to help people. And I feel like that's one of the biggest limitations with insurance where they're kind of trying to back you into this corner where you can only do a certain amount of time with the person or a certain amount of services, whatever it is. And then doing this other way at a network of cash, you have a lot more freedom to implement these, these treatments that can really help the person. Yeah. As we mentioned last week, you know, that being said, people do expect more um, if they're paying out of pocket or they're paying, you know, yeah, out of pocket, or they see what their out of network cost is, um, and that tends to self-select people as well. Um, aside from them having the resources to get there in the first place, you know they're literally bought into it. So they they there's they have skin in the game, so to speak, in terms of you know they're they're putting out some money. So they're, they're I find that in some cases they're much more motivated. Um, in some cases, that that being said, I've met you know countless people in the in-network scene that they were also motivated. Um, But again, there was a lot of restrictions and frustrations. I got to tell you, like, I get that. 
but I kind of like the idea of someone telling me, or not telling me, but the patient knowing, okay, I've only got 25 visits to get better, right? right. So, like, I have to take this seriously. Every time I come in, I have to be at my 100% on my game, right? I can't come just in, dilly-dally, oh, I'm not, I'm not feeling it today, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, you have X amount of visits. I don't want to do the visits. exercises. Can you just work on my shoulder? Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's exactly it. And so, like, w- we do find, and I especially see it in my practice, like, some people come in, can we just do a bit of light stretching today? I had a really busy meeting, and, like, I just, I just don't feel, like, doing it. And, and, like, <laughs> and so why are you here? Yeah, so why are you here? Like at that, but at that point, you start to wonder, like, is are they coming in because of the ritual of it? And then, yes. okay, so yes. like, I, I know we're not doing pain science this episode, but no, 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 no. no. we're so, doing anything. we're doing everything. I'm right yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like, are you coming in just for the ritual of coming in? Are you coming in because this is a social environment for you? Or are you coming because you actually have like a problem? And that's kind of where you know. And it kind of ties into the burnout because um, you end up seeing a lot of people who are just here as a social experience. Right. That that is a very taxing. Because you know you vibe. You know your hands are on that person. You you're in that vicinity of the person. It's infectious. You know this. Oh, how does it feel? The same. Yeah. <laughs> had a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I I get it, but like, yeah. you know I also have like people who actually need rehab so like let's <laughs> why, why don't why don't you just like go to the gym and make some friends right like, right let's go off for a drink yeah oh, exactly go eat some good food yeah. it'll make you feel good walk yeah uh, go talk yeah. to some people yeah i mean initially i i totally see your point and who doesn't love some good food but <laughs> you know i think it, it's a difficult thing when someone comes into to the clinic and they are kind of like either apprehensive about doing some sort of you know active being an active participant in the treatment or they had a stressful day at work and they don't want to do anything you know i hate yeah you know, i'm going right into the pain science because that's, that's my thing yes. uh but you kind of have to meet them halfway and be like you know validate you know why they're feeling the way that they're feeling like hey i understand that you had a stressful day at work but you know i think the only way for you to to really be in control of your of your symptoms and actually, you know, I'm trying not to say the get better, whatever, <laughs> but to really, you know, expedite your recovery is to, you know, load load the crap out of your problem. So, you know, just, uh, you got to find a way to be like, okay, this you're meeting them halfway and then they're doing some exercises better than just, you know, Nothing. getting some muscles rubbed and some, maybe some Theragun or Hypervolt or whatever is popular <laughs> nowadays. But, uh, yeah, I think that that's definitely part of it. No, it's an art. It's an art to take, you know, some of our, I mean, my most challenging patients have taught me the most and taught me in the sense that the art of, you know, listening about the day, validating the day and saying, okay, why are you here? Let's, you know, and let's get to, let's get to the meat and potatoes of what, but again, it's an art, you know, and each, each patient client um, needs to be approached slightly different. And I do agree with you where, like, I'd rather have some sort of, some limitations, but to the extent of, I think they've kind of gone over on one end where it gets to the other extreme of behaviors where people are like, well, I'm just going to come in because this is what my insurance, I have this benefit and this is free. Like, I had this person the other day who uh, reached out (coughs) and... um, we were going back and forth, and I was away for about a week, and so I had a, an out-of-office reply, and they, they they went and went somewhere else. But basically, in the in the email, it said it was hilarious, and I tried to explain 
what we can offer and things like that and what we would be cash and out of network. And the guy's like, um, well, that's all great, but, uh, you know, out of convenience, I went close to my my work and I satisfied all my in-network stuff for the year. So it's just basically free. And this mm-hmm. this person literally is a martial arts athlete and had a pretty serious surgery, all these other things. I don't know where, where they're going to get service from, where they're going to get treatment from. But that's another mindset, I think, when there's too many limitations on. Then you get these other behaviors like, well, it's owed to me. Like we talked about a little bit. I think one of our first podcasts and um, like an entitlement, you know, like I'm paying I mean, for hopefully this you don't have to use, you know, physical therapy. You know, you shouldn't just lie on a table just because you know, I'm paying eight hundred dollars a month for my health care. Right. I got 30 visits. What do you got for me? I'm going to do all 30. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> ultrasound, East, End, whatever it is. But um, yeah, it's what we're dealing with. Yeah, And I, I think that, so with that, I, there has to be some sort of. Joining together of the two, so some limitations, but also the the really good education about what high value care is, you know what their responsibility is as a patient, and then our responsibility as a clinician to provide that. So, kind of right in the middle. All challenges. I mean, well, I, so I actually have a question for you guys, kind of like based on that guideline, and it's something I've been fighting with for a little while. And Jay, you might be able to give some insight on in this. Um, because you haven't been practicing as long as these guys, right? Not even close. No. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> they're like the grandfathers <laughs> of physical <laughs> therapy. <laughs> um, I'm drinking tea for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, yeah. This is like kombucha. this is like this happy is, for me. Oh my god, kombucha. You guys are like AARP eligible, right? <laughs> <laughs> when we get out Next of here, you guys want to buy me lunch? Yeah, ten percent. Oh um, man, that's hilarious. But so, like, with with all this, like, you know, all this patient education stuff, and like a lot of this pain science stuff coming out, and that sort of thing. We we know how important it is to talk to people, especially when you're trying to get them healthy, whatever that means, in the number of visits that they have, right? Okay. Is it frustrating for you that it's it's you could just talk to them and, like, that can help get them better? And then, like, it, there's no, okay, so when I got into PT, I was like, I am going to use my hands. Mm-hmm. I'm going to break up every ounce of scar tissue you've got. Right. We are going to stretch the hell out of it. You are going to be walking here like Gumby, and then you are going to get strong, and you are going to be like you're going to be like an Olympic gymnast. Mm-hmm. Everyone, and now I'm just like, I I get it. Like you need to just you know f- like get it together, figure your life out, de stress, right? Lift something heavy, take a nap, and you'd be all right. <laughs> Drink a little water. Yeah, it is frustrating. I think um, <clears throat> I find myself in the ritual sometimes of <clears throat> having that discussion. Potentially getting someone you know, on a treatment table and going through a ritualistic releasing of sorts. And um, it's what the patient, an expectation the patient has, is somewhat of an expectation of my other brain, you know, another part of my brain that says, well, we have to go through this. And it is frustrating, especially if you've been seeing the patient for a while and yeah, it's a tricky thing, you know, it's a, it is frustrating and but the, at the end of the day, there's a certain key elements of the session, I guess, that help me validate or kind of rationalize what I'm doing. Like, all right, neural input. All right, I'm giving this person a little more confidence. All right, this person is objectively making changes. This person is reporting increase of their you know recreational activity. But it is, I would say, it's frustrating for me for yeah. sure. I mean, it's it's 
you have to question even what we're doing with our hands, right? I mean, that's the whole pain science thing in a nutshell. But yeah. I, I uh, 100% frustrating. I feel like uh, I've been reflecting on it a lot. I think I mentioned in one of the podcasts that we had. I don't remember which one now. It wasn't the insurance one. Um, but I, I view manual therapy as like negotiating with the nervous system. So sometimes with a like either education conversation can't achieve a change in the person's nervous system. Sometimes they would need a little manual input, and it could be you know dermal neuromodulation or soft tissue work or just like you know traction, whatever it may be. But the education is is key to sprinkle in there. And the frustrating part for me is like I find so much more comfort in doing something that I have a, a little bit of answers for in a sense that manual therapy. When we learned in school, we learned in the initial con ed courses that we took, there was like an A plus B equals C scenario. Now with pain science, there's like hmm. this. It doesn't follow a linear path. Like interstellar, <laughs> like inception, like manual. <laughs> like I, I did, there's so much stuff. And, um, I, I, you know, every, everybody's very complex in that sense. So then now we're up into incorporate you know how much do you sleep how you know what's going on do you have a trauma in your life and all this other stuff so yeah it's really interesting to build on what lee's saying with the pain science it would be a lot of people would benefit from the conversation but there's definitely a, a part of you know there's definitely a demographic that that conversation's like okay so what am i here what are you gonna do that that's mm-hmm. cool and all you know that they, they have a kind of an auditory block to some extent you know and and if you throw in the kinesthetic, the feel of it, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I, f- oh, I feel that different. Um, visually, you know, let's say a visual thing where they're like, what is this guy saying? I don't, my arm still doesn't move. I can't move it. So, I mean, I guess addressing, you know, we've learned about the learning styles of people and how we're a blend of all, but some people just will not take that story well. As you all, I mean, we've all had that experience of this, so it's in my head and, so I think what Lee said is correct. I mean, having having some kind of something tangible, although maybe not working for the reasons that we were taught, um, it's another tool. Right. It's another tool. Yeah, and, uh, you know, even David Butler, and if you guys don't know who David Butler is, he's a really prominent, you know, neurophysiologist out in Australia. He wrote, you know, series of amazing books most recently explained pain supercharged gotta see that mm-hmm. i haven't read that one good <laughs> but even he and he created this whole system on how to approach you know patients with all of these contributing factors to their symptoms that even his brother-in-law i believe you know he tried to counsel him on pain science and his brother-in-law was not having it whatsoever <laughs> so he's like you know what i'm just going to send you to the best manual therapist i know he had like a couple manipulations mobilizations and his brother brother-in-law felt fine so even he, the guy who created this whole system, acknowledges that there are some people that are just unwilling to hear your message. And even if they're unwilling to hear it now, maybe they'll be like, okay, this guy's full of crap. And then maybe a year later, they're not out of pain yet and they're having difficulties. They'll come back to you a year later and say, you know what, I'm ready to listen to what you have to say. So, you know, some people are ready. Some people want the pain science information doused on them. Some people need it sprinkled. Mm-hmm. I think that... The challenge for the, the provider, but I think the most competent and, you know, most successful providers are the ones that understand, you know, which patient needs which particular information and deliver it at which, and with, with which communication style at which given time. And it is incredibly complicated. I never thought that physical therapy would 
involve so much, you know, pain science and dealing with all the other factors in people's lives, but it certainly does. And if people are undermining it in the clinic, you're really doing your patients a disservice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, mm-hmm. this is a com- it, some of it, I don't want to say it's common sense, but it is common sense, human interaction. Like, you know, you're, you're telling them the story and their body's just closing up and they're pulling away from you and they're looking down and they're shaking their head. You know, all of these signs that you should just stop you know, read the, change your direction. I mean, it's and this is within the pain science, but there are others that are not speaking pain science, and maybe for thre- using threatening language. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to yeah, laugh. But no, no, we've but, talked about them. Yeah, we've talked about <clears throat> the therapists that threaten their patients, um, and that that's that's the other side of it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Right. No, it's not Lee, but he's looking at Lee like, yeah, like are you choking I, your I'm patients? Not, no. <laughs> no, you're gonna no. get better. Or you're getting an arm bar. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna get that right. I'm gonna get your range of motion back. But it, it's it is it is an art, and I think yeah. the most successful therapists do know when to use what, um, whether it's pain science or uh, little clinical tools. But that comes down to, I think, some just basic communication skills. Um, that it's it's tough to teach, but it is a teachable skill. I do think it's a teachable skill. Um, I, I think that we had we had a course in school education. Yes, or mu- there were multiple sections of it. Yeah, and, well, yeah. And they and they what they were trying to do, and I'm sure you guys had this too in school, were basically a communication to the patient, being able to observe like cultural differences, being able to observe different psychological barriers, and then being able to effectively communicate and teach this person. And Eric and I found it very, very helpful. It wasn't really well received with the majority of our class, I think, because I think they saw it as some sort of, you know, it wasn't very clinical in a sense that, you know, anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, all that stuff. So, but I feel like there has to be more of that with the use of pain science information so they can change language or at least alter the language that they're using with patients. And that will be kind of like a key component to education along with strength conditioning. Yeah. But <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's, it's basically <clears throat> kind of categorizing a person's learning style, number one. Understanding your own learning style, that's another thing as a clinician. I that's mean, right, what yeah. works for you yeah. best? If you got to be comfortable with, I think a lot of, our graduate school is kind of delving into a lot of self-reflection. Um, and then that should stick with you until – that should be a continuous process. But that self-reflection helps you deliver your message. And you know your strengths. You know your weaknesses. But most importantly, understanding a patient across from you um, critical. So I think that should – I think in med schools, they're changing a lot of the curriculum to include this bedside manner and – uh, I, I the post we did recently with the, I think in the UK they're changing the use of medical jargon with patients. You did know? you guys see that in the Times? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty, but that was very interesting. Pretty cool stuff. So I mean, the message is it's not going to be in the show notes. It's not. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can just look it up. Yeah, on look Instagram. it up. New York Times. Google it. Yeah, Google it. But um, the what, Brits in in school that they go in, in like education that they go into like learning styles or delivery of messages and yeah you no know, it's interesting I actually uh, well from my experience uh, I went to Columbia so I have the best education money can buy so I know more <laughs> right. about this than anybody at this table right. Right, right. Um, so we did have and you know we, he's we, paid a pretty penny I'm sure you know. bestow your wisdom please. <laughs> 
And we did talk about, you know, what we call the biopsychosocial model, which, you know, I, I know the guys on the show have probably gone over this before, but, you know, how personal and, and environmental factors, you know, contribute to somebody's symptoms. And, you know, we would talk about it, and we might break off into different groups, but interestingly enough, my research at Columbia was actually not on all the fancy stuff like biomechanics and how to objectively measure something. It was about psychosocial education. Mm-hmm. And we actually looked about, you know, just like, on a continuum throughout the country, like what are common themes that are being taught from, you know, PT school to PT school? How much emphasis is there based off of like credit hours and stuff like that? And it's just very interesting that it, it's just, you know, the terminology is all over the place and, you know, how the classes are structured all over the place. And in, in our research, actually, we, we, we did look a lot into like medical and nursing because the PT literature in terms of teaching this content is quite, quite poor. I mean, there's some... There's a lot to talk about, like identifying yellow flags and all that stuff, particularly in response to low back pain. But the best way to do it, based off of what we saw, is just to to get small groups together. A lot of of medical schools hire paid actors to portray a patient, and they Mm -hmm. get like maybe four or five students with either an adjunct professor or a senior clinician, and then they take turns communicating with the patient. They found that to be particularly effective because you get... Many there's like this they co- they coined it I forgot this one article a 360 feedback loop in terms mm. of like peers cool. peers providing feedback to their peers the actor providing feedback to the to the student and then the professor providing feedback to the student so you're getting multiple multiple levels of feedback so you can really you know t- appreciate the experience you know dealing with an individual who you know is in dire need of services and may have a lot of things going on so. You know, it wasn't to that degree at Columbia, so I want my money back. Columbia gave me my money back. Uh, well, that, that, but, but actually. <laughs> that's a great, I mean, we've, we've been, Lee and I have been part of that at our, our school we oh, went to right. in Toro. We were, yeah, we were, comp- and I, I, what you just said is key. Like being, I was a, a patient actor. And it was, it was a tough process. You have to kind of fit into the role and kind of feel what this person was feeling and walk the way this person would walk and respond like the hundreds of people you heard. And, you know, it gives you a different perspective being Mm -hmm. a patient and then getting the feedback from the student, what you just said. I mean, I I witnessed, we've, we've been part of that and it was, it was fun for us. Uh, It was definitely helpful for the the students had a good experience, but you're right though. I mean, even this education class that we took, it, it wasn't really considered too serious. And mm-hmm. I mean, I I saw the the power in it because they went over. I mean, one of our projects was like creating a presentation and like having a template for any presentation. I still use that to this, this day, thing. whether yeah. it's um, a PowerPoint presentation or it's it's an introduction to a new patient. You know, it's like that little format. And again, a lot of I say kids, a lot of my <laughs> students, um, they didn't see the value, unfortunately, because they didn't really have much work experience. Yeah. So they wouldn't <clears throat> see the value of it. But um that's really cool that you did research on that. Yeah, I mean I I valued that, you know, patient provider interaction from day one. That is one of the drive, main driving factors aside from the fact that I got hurt in high school and that stimulated this whole, you know, pursuit of physical therapy like 90% of the applicants to PT school, right. but hmm. you know, really getting to know people on a more more profound level than, you know, the typical and I'm not saying that all physicians don't get to know their patients, but we see patients very regularly. We get to know a lot about them, and they open up to us. And, you know, I value 
that time. I value that every patient has a story, and a lot of people just aren't being listened to maybe in their personal lives. From other providers, they're just getting passed along the healthcare system because maybe nobody wants to deal with them. So I really think as long as you demonstrate a le- just a baseline level of empathy, like under- appreciating where the, this person has come from that, that's here to see you for services, and at the very least, you're going to provide uh, a, an average level of, you know, pain science education. And then you could supplement that with your, your clinical skills. Not to say that you have to be the best at addressing pain science, but you're going to get provide someone with a, pretty much a groundbreaking treatment that they're going to be like, whoa, I didn't know physical therapy was like this at all. And you're going to really make some turn some heads. That's good stuff. Matt, did you have any experience with in school, uh, when you went to school, did they emphasize delivery of message, of communication at all? So uh, I went to the not greatest school on the planet. <laughs> no. <laughs> which is everyone but Columbia. Uh, yeah. Where is it? Uh, so, I, I, so I went to the University of New York. Uh, so I did my PTA through CUNY. And um, they we actually had like a whole class dedicated to us pretending to be patients for our fellow classmates, which is, in theory a good idea in practice awful <laughs> well that's true as a student it was horrible yeah, yeah. we I, couldn't we couldn't we, yeah. we were like the worst patients in the world we were yeah. like ah like we were just making weird shit up yeah and like I, I I could I walked in there I think one day I came in and I was like a patient with like a fr- quote unquote frozen shoulder um definitely made myself a fall risk like, <laughs> like there's just no but there's no there's no sensibility to it there's also like you don't get the realness of it um but we did get that sort of education and then we also had to do like a like a final like senior project sort of thing um not quite like a senior thesis that you get at the doctoral level but like a similar project and um we had to present it at whatever our last affiliation was we had to try to the objective was to try to change something that they're doing to try to make them a more effective clinic. And so what I went in and talked about was um, something kind of similar, and it was it, it's very pain science-y. Uh, there, we're talking about, like, you know, imaging and how, like, you know, if someone comes in with a bulging disc, like, oh, okay, good for you. You walked on two feet. Great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's probably not the source of back pain. But, like, um, <laughs> but then we started talking about, but then the presentation goes on and it talks about, well, how how powerful are we really in talking to people about this, right? Like we are most likely the fifth person or sixth person to see them and talk to them about this issue. Mm-hmm. So they've already got five or six people telling them like, this is what's wrong with you. So oh. we're, yeah, we're, we're nothing like in the grand scheme of things. Like it's by the time they get to us, it's not. So what one study, I, I'll see if I can um, pull it up on my phone or something, but one study, they made a pamphlet, right? And they made, an ed- they made two educational pamphlets. One was it was for chron- it was for chronic low back pain. One was like this is what back pain is, and like that's pretty much it. Like it broke down like what the words back pain mean, and then the other pamphlet was like it had bright colors, very educational, very comforting. Told you like you know this is you could get better. These are the things that can help you. <clears throat> this is kind of what it comes from, and this is how you get better. And they found that the people who had like the more educational pamphlet, their fear avoidance beliefs, which is like your the the thought you have that whatever is in your mind endangering you is endangering you. Like, the realness of that. That's your fear avoidance beliefs. So, Do you remember which one they used? They used the uh, Tampa or, or Maine ones? Like, I can't remember. remember. Okay. This, is, this is a long time ago. I'm also old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and by old, I mean 27. But, uh, so, uh, yeah, but so, 
um, they they found out the fear avoidance beliefs and actually pain their their zero to ten VAS pain rating. <laughs> oh, that's great! I, I like the look on his face. <laughs> no one no one can see what my face looks like. That was a hard eye roll. Uh, like Fourteen year old teenage yeah. girl being sent to a room. Eye roll. <laughs> VAS. Um, but their their vas was uh, was significantly lower in the in the people who had gotten the, the good pamphlet. And so I kind of like I finished my presentation in front of all these people. And I was just like, the last thing I gave them was, you are more powerful than a pamphlet. Yeah. Standing out. Like, oh. mic drop, there it is. <laughs> like, the, the, uh, the president in Independence Day, the original one, I've never saw the new one, but Independence Day gives a, this is our independence. That was it. That was, <laughs> that was the um, That's awesome. But, That's, uh, but uh, like, when, I, when we kind of talk about that, like, and one of these articles, actually, that, that Jay had sent over, um, do you guys want to introduce the articles before we talk about them? Or? Yeah, yeah, you can go for it. Which one? Uh, this is the uh, burnout stuff? Yeah, this is the burnout stuff. So um, This will be in the show notes, everybody. Praise be. <laughs> 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 so uh, this one is a burnout syndrome in physical therapists, demographic and or- organizational factors. Um, does anyone want to give these names a shot? On the uh, are they authors? Swedish? Polish. They're Polish. Oh. Uh, I think. Ah, yes. Lee, Lee knows a little Polish. Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to even try. I'll probably insult a lot of people. Yeah. Um, they're a really great group yeah. from the University School of Physical Education, Academia, Wycomia, um, in Poland. One of them looks like, the name looks like um, the, one of UFC fighters. You want to give it a shot? <laughs> Karol Roskowskis. Uh, no. L. L I, I could read the L. L. Zizatzau Kalaruskas. I can't even tell where you are on the page. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, they'll be posted. Yeah, they're posted. Really good paper. Thank you, authors, for for writing it. Um, so one of them actually, uh, I want to say it's in the introduction. They talk about how something Jordan has said before: how PT patient contact is so much different than doctor and nurses contact, and so like. Doctors and nurses, uh, my mom, my mom's a nurse. Like, I totally get it. I've seen her emotional investment over, like, the 27 years of my life with her patients. Wow. And it's it's there. It's heavy. But she, she has a cycle of people. You know what I mean? Like, people come in and out. We're, doctors, again, they come in and out. Or they see them on, like, if they see a regular patient, it's on, like, what, every eight weeks max. Yeah. Like, and even that is a stretch. This is a, in, in a hospital setting? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, well, this is like this is in general. I mean, like, mm. uh, I can't remember what the number is on it. I don't know if anyone knows, but the, the average, yeah, time between doctors' visits for the same practitioner, we can find that somewhere. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it's but for PTs, it's just it's much it's much more regular. If you're seeing someone for eight weeks, it's twice a week for eight weeks. Right. You know what I mean, so you're you know you're seeing them pretty pretty regular hours, sixteen eight. Let's say eight to sixteen hours, they're gonna see you. Yeah, that's a large. That's a lot of time. That's <clears throat> you're you're meeting someone at that point. Like that's that's like seven or eight dates in. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> true. Um, that's a, true. that's a great way to look at it too. Yeah, relationships. That's yeah. right. You build a relationship with these people, but like like Jordan was saying, like it's it it's a powerful tool that you have, but it's very taxing. And this first paper kind of goes on to talk about like the reason why we need to, I think, look at burnout in physios is because of this connection that we build with our patients and because we get so, like, pain science and try to be, you know, so empathetic and understanding of what our patient is going through, 
you know, it, it does take a toll on us. And that's oh. a lot of weight for us to bear. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I love to take a nap and eat good food and lift heavy loads, but like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, at some, at some point you need a vacation, but it's, at some point you got, you have to do something for yourself. And so like yeah. maybe, maybe we need some physical therapy. That's what we need. I, yeah, man. You know, Lee and I discussed this at length at, um, I think in order to be effective at what we're doing, there has to be a lot of me time. I mean, it sounds a little selfish, but it, self-preservation. I mean, you, you got to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anyone else. I have a great analogy. I was just on an airplane. Yeah. What happens when the oxygen comes down and you're with a small child? Put your mask on first. Yeah, yeah exactly. you gotta you take care of yourself no, first. It's the truth, or else you're gonna say, be dead, yeah, right? and that person's not gonna be able to help themselves. <laughs> but that's the way it goes with burnout, though. I, I, I mean, <clears throat> I've witnessed this. I've been part of it. I've been. I remember working to the ground, and I was much less effective. And um, yeah, just when you step back and take care of yourself a little better. But yeah, that relationship. We we have a unique. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, the blessing is you have all this time to drive a message to the person that initially they may not receive due to barriers, whether that's pain, whether that's units, units, whether it's, um, (laughs) authorization. Um, but yeah, you're right. After eight, seven dates in and you really don't want to be on that date. It could be, it could be tricky. I was trying to tell someone in my family what PT is like because they, they had no idea. And so I was like, I was trying to make the, the date analogy. And I was like, not only do you have to get them to let them uh, kind of feel to come back for a second date or a third date, but you you need to like also extract information from them. Yeah, a little interrogation. Uh, yeah, you have to be like an attorney. You have to be an accountant. You have to be... What's your best method? Do uh, waterboard or... I messed it earlier. I just say, like, if you don't tell choke. me this information, it's going to be an arm bar. I'm going to choke you. Oh, man. Uh, no, it's it's an interest. That's a pretty cool article. Where This was in Poland. So that's sad. That Polish therapists are... Uh, now, when you guys looked this up, Jordan, you did yes. a, a lit review for burnout stuff? Yes. Did you see anything in the United Sta- done in the United States? Mm. Yeah, there was... Stuff done, but not really for a physical therapist. It was mainly for medic medicine and nursing. It's amazing. It this I, I, I this is the third time I've seen this when done a lit review on burnout. It's usually from overseas. I think it. I think PTs by nature. I mean, I, I are good copers. No, natural. I mean, I have this a good is, article about yeah coping. that coping, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, PTs in general. I mean, they typically cope well with stuff. But I, I witnessed. I mean, I had an incident with a family member last week where. He had to go to the ER. Uh, full disclosure, my brother pit, uh, choked on a piece of steak, and um, he calls me like, "Hey, it sounded man. like it was something serious." <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, "Oh my ch- god, are you all right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you need me to console yeah. you? Your brother's so choking on steak." He's choking on steak. He calls me like an hour into it, and he's like, "I can't, I can't stop throwing up." And I was like, "What?" I was choking on a piece of steak. I gagged myself. I don't know what, you know. And he's Rich, there with Rich, I uh, thought it was serious. He yeah, was texting me the yeah, whole time. Yeah, was, I thought it was he, And I was like, so go to the hospital. I'm like, go, no, it's funny now. You know, he, I was like, go to the hospital. He goes, no, I, I think I'm all right. It's not, it's not as bad. Then he texts me the name of the hospital. Mm. And, I, you know, I rush over there 40 minutes later. He's with his son. And I just walk into this place in the Bronx, right? It's a small little community hospital. It's like a war zone. People are choking. There's blood, 
And my brother's just gagging, you know. <laughs> and he's gagging every two minutes. But I looked around and, like, everybody looked stressed out. You know, the doctors didn't lift their heads. The nurses were doing most of the work. Even, like, the, the, like a non-medical professional was taking information about insurance while my brother was throwing up. They were asking him, hey, you know. And, and she was very polite. You know, I have to say, the, across the board, the security guard, everybody was very polite. And I was trying to be as polite as I can to get as much help. Anyway, moral of the story is, I mean, just looking at all the healthcare providers, they looked exhausted. You know, luckily my brother um, dodged a bullet. He got a CAT scan, and, and he um, they were going to give him an endoscope. And he was like, I got, yeah, they were, he was like, I got to get out of here. Give me a cup of water. And then the nurse was like, no, 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 you're going to another hospital. So my brother got up, he drank water, gagged, and then like he was like, I feel better. So 10 minutes goes by. He doesn't throw up. The, the nurse was like, is he all right? And he was like, I'm ready. Please get the IV out. He's on IV. He didn't, oh, wow. And uh, he, it, was, it was pretty serious up until then. He was like, I can't. I don't want to do an endoscope. I mean, I'm not choking. So the doctor came over. You know, he, he lucked out. He didn't get the endoscope. But moral of the story is these doctors were stressed. They were, they were burnt out. You could tell, you know. And everybody, and, and I could understand. You got patients talking about, coverage on our way out of the hospital with three security guards around this little booth the security guard was like oh if you're going to get discharged go there and the woman looked at him and he has health insurance luckily and she was like there's a co-payment and like my brother was like okay what is it he's like 250 and it was like this quiet moment and my brother was like okay here you go you know and she was like you want to pay it all now? He's like, she was preparing for the yeah, worst. Yeah, she was preparing for the worst because, and then I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, that's why they have security here. Because people, <laughs> people must get to the thing. And, and, you know, for someone, now the CAT scan alone must have been about 1500 He'd got an x ray, a saline pouch probably was 400 bucks. Um, the nurse, you know, all, all of these, it, it probably, he hasn't gotten the bill, but it was probably like a $4,000 bill. But going into healthcare providers that are burnt out, community hospital dealing with, Many individuals that don't have insurance. This is actually the doctor's office. So sorry for the tangent, but um, oh, we love just a, just a, just a, <laughs> just another just an example of you know the stress. And again, I, I'm very thankful, uh, as Lee and I discussed. You know that if we didn't have this care, who knows? He could have still been choking on the steak. Yeah, it was funny when we were. Well, it wasn't funny, but when Eric, Eric was texting me this stuff, and um, we were both trying to like figure out what's happening. Dr. House. Yeah, we started to get a little housey, and um, I was like, how about, how about he put some vinegar down, like apple cider vinegar down his throat and see if it digests the, the meat? That's, that's when my brother my brother was like, it's been there for four hours. Isn't, don't you think the enzyme? I was like, no, that's with bread, bro. You need to, you know, if it's a piece of steak, you need acid, man. You need steak. He was like, and I was like, you want to try vinegar? And I asked the nurse. I was like, you think it? And he was, the nurse she was, was probably like, like, what the? The nurse looked and was like, no, man, take it easy. We don't have vinegar. <laughs> he was like, we don't have vinegar. He's going to need an endoscope. We have real medicine. <laughs> Do some jumping jacks. They'll just get it down there. Oh, it was crazy. They started, it. they started. They put an IV on. I was like, why are you using an IV? He was like, he has to be dehydrated. He's been throwing up for four hours. I was like, all right. Mm. And he was like, are you nauseous? Are you nauseous? And he's filling up a syringe. He was like, we're going to give you anti-nausea medication. And my brother's like, I'm not nauseous. I have steak in my chest. Right? And he was like, you sure you're not nauseous? And like with a needle in it, I was like, I don't think he needs a nausea medication. No. Oh, just, it's not. It's 
with the special test for steak joking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the ICD nine ten is on that. Huh? Oh, they, oh, they, dude, ICD ten codes. Oh, they got shark bites. They got like boat accidents with the left arm versus the right thunderclap foot. headache. <laughs> thunderclap. <laughs> thunderclap. Oh. Is that that's the Hulk? Isn't that's, it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, you don't want to be him him looking at his, his thing. What? Talk to us about that article. No, I really. love tangents. If you guys want to keep going, no, 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 no. <laughs> I want to stay on task. These are this is. I want to. Stay I want on some th- steak, though. I no, 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 right. Steak. Chew uh, your steak. Oh, that's another moral. Chew your steak. Yes. <laughs> Take your time. That's Don't interesting. Stress. I actually just looked at my notes. There's an ICD-10 code for a burnout syndrome. Really? Wow. Z seventy-three point zero. Z code. That's like a. That's an. That's a after. That's a. Um, like yes. a surgical. Code. Surgical code. Yeah. yeah. Well, give that to every therapist that we know. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, <laughs> how many visits do you get approved for that? <coughs> 60. Yeah. <laughs> you get a get two-week vacation. Yeah, in which context to use that, I have no idea. But uh, I found that interesting. I found it interesting because it must be more common than, uh, than people think. And yeah. I think that's the point we're trying to emphasize here is that, you know, we are all very well-intentioned providers, and I think that you don't go into physical therapy school and, unless you are well-intentioned and you want to do, do right by people. Right. It's just, you know, as, as, you, as we've been talking about all the insurance demands and just the number of people that are coming in and out of our clinics and the content in which they're sharing with us, you know, it can bear us down. And it's not that we don't care because we want to hear – all of your stories, this is all the patients out there who might be prospectively seeing us in the future. Mm-hmm. We care about you. Mm-hmm. We do want what's best for you. Deeply. But, you know, it, it can become overbearing. And I think, you know, it takes a lot for the individual to, you know, process the information and handle it accordingly. And one of the pitfalls for me in my career, in, my, in the earlier part of my career, was that I was so kind of like how Matt was like, I'm going to get in there, use my hands, and I'm going to affect change. Well, you know what? Change doesn't manifest that quickly, and sometimes it takes takes a while, especially if some people are in you know persistent chronic pain states. So, if people aren't getting better, I used to just be like, "It's me. I, I'm not doing a good enough job with manual therapy. I'm not prescribing the right exercise. Maybe they should do less repetitions." It, it, it didn't take me very long to realize that I was just hurting myself by thinking that way, and I. Um, you know, I started to realize, you know, especially after taking all these pain courses, that it is so multifactorial, you know, what goes into a patient's ability to recover. And if you internalize that, you're just going to end up setting yourself up for failure. You're going to add stress to your life. And not to mention, I'm sure, you know, a lot of us have stressors outside of work. Right. And so why compound that with work-related stress that doesn't need to be there? And I think since I've been able to do that, you know, I've actually fought burnout in, and have gotten even more inspired despite all the facts with the insurance and utilization requirements. Like, I'm all in on my career, and I, ho- and I see a lot, of, a lot of providers out there, a lot, mostly young but definitely some that are older that are, like, gung-ho about the profession and trying to inspire change despite all of the, the negative aspects of the profession. So you really just have to find a way to cope as we as we mentioned and, and do something that makes you feel good i think everybody needs to be happy everyone needs to laugh more people it's okay to share your thoughts with people and i think if our patients begin to do that and they start to do things that make them happy whether we are the ones to enable them to do so or not you know everyone's going to end up better in the end 
Oh, for sure. And what you just said about kind of second-guessing yourself if the patient isn't getting better, you know, it's common amongst all new therapists. I think it, if you care, you're going to have that feeling. But that, that feeling, um, the patients pick up on that very easily, uh, whether the, you know, the clinician is so wrapped up on their own thoughts that they forget that there's someone in front of them. And um, if you could just focus on, on the small, on the obvious things that you can implement change, whether that's pain science chat, whether that's kind of a, a gait training or giving them a little, telling them what side to use a cane on. You know, these little little low-hanging fruit um, to kind of, one, to get buy-in, um, and two, just to kind of elicit a small change. But like you said, you know, change doesn't happen overnight, especially in some of these chronic pain states. But uh, what you just said, I mean... Uh, Shifting one thing, you know, we really don't understand how 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 we impact our patients on 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 both ends, right? But we play a big part in many people's lives, so yeah, pretty cool stuff. With, with the pain science courses you've taken, you've taken uh, David Butler's, yep. um, Greg Layman, and Greg Layman. So yeah. I, I would I'd be interested to hear what was your what was your thoughts on Greg Lemon? He's getting a lot of traction now, definitely in the United States. And, and it's well-deserved. You know, he's a very well-spoken individual. And he – so basically, if you don't know who Greg Lehman is, he's actually a physiotherapist and a chiropractor from, from our neighbors to the north. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> not surprising. We have plenty of pioneers in the profession from the north, uh, but we're not going to go into that because we can spend all day talking about that. <laughs> but anyway, basically, the premise of the course is he, he builds off of all these themes that, you know, Peter O'Sullivan came up with and David Butler, Laura Mosley and all those guys. And he basically ties it into commonly thought beliefs about biomechanics. For example, like, you know, just the general spinal flexion intolerance thing. It's like, oh, if you sit for a while, you know, nucleus propulsus bulges back and then, you know, tube and toothpaste, boom, it, it comes out. Jelly donut. Oh, yeah. God. Donuts. They're everywhere. All over. But before he even went into any of the biomechanics, it was all about a paradigm shift in the patient. You know, you guys might have talked about, you know, the whole cup principle about changing what's in your cup, either the size of the cup or the contents of the cup. Mm -hmm. And just generally reconceptualizing people's beliefs about movement and people's beliefs about pain. And um, before we even started, it's just like getting people to realize that there is more to their problems than a tissue injury. Now, certainly, they could have some sort of tissue injury. And from my courses with David Butler, you know, it's just a matter of hypersensitivity at any local area that's in pain. But that's mm -hmm. the brain's determined response for their pathology, not necessarily what's going on. Um, but yeah, so, so he went on to talk about, you know, all these things about like, we, we, we see all these biomechanical faults like, you know, dynamic knee value, I guess, was a big one, or, you know, serratus winging. If you see wing, you're like, oh, I don't even know if I could date a girl with serratus winging anymore <laughs> after PT school. I can't. But the thing is, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in the market, by the way. Uh, just, just throwing it out there. Uh, but, yeah, so basically he was talking about – and there's one video that he showed that really stuck with me, and it was a really <laughs> prominent physician, and he was doing a live demonstration looking at, like, scapular kinesis with movement and trying to attribute it to patient's pain. So he had the guy move, move both, elevate both shoulders one at a time. I forgot which shoulder was the one that winged the most, but I think it was like the right shoulder. And then he tried symptom activity modification to see if it helped. 
because he was he saw scapula winging on the right shoulder, so he's like, okay, I'm gonna address the right shoulder. And the patient goes to me and says, it's my left shoulder that hurts. Hmm. So it just goes to show yeah, you that great. often, <laughs> oftentimes, mm. you know, we see biomechanical dysfunction, and it's like we need to fix it. Yeah. But there are plenty of successful athletes. There are plenty of successful you know, athletes encompassing marathon runners, powerlifters. Like they martial don't have mm. martial, martial yeah. artists. I should talk. I should have known. No, 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 no. I just. Uh, I'm sorry. But That's no, no. Totally, <laughs> totally valid. But you know, just because someone has bio theoretical biomechanical flaws from this optimal alignment perspective, which I hope the profession is deviating from slightly, it's just a matter uh, of. Yes. If a biomechanical dysfunction is contributing to a patient's injury, it might be worth addressing. If it is not, you don't necessarily have to address it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, you know, one of the key concepts from Greg Lehman is that, you know, who's to say that for someone with patellofemoral pain, so patellofemoral pain is just a general term for an- anterior knee pain, for those of you who don't know, patellofemoral means. Uh, one of the gold standard, you know, treatment approaches is hip abductor strengthening, like glute meat strengthening. And then you see all these clinicians. I, I mean, you see some, I'm not going to say, a, it, I can't generalize anything, but you know, you see them doing all clamshell, sideline hip abduction, all these other things, but you still have to load the tissue that's causing the pain. And just because hip abductor strengthening has been shown to decrease anterior knee pain, it doesn't mean you have to do it if it's not contributing to their symptoms. Like, why can't you theoretically strengthen your hip flexors? Why can't you theoretically, you know, work on... Stand on one leg for a minute, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there there are... We, we kind of get zoned in in PT school, and we learn about all these, you know, biomechanical dysfunctions, and then we, we spend a whole course talking about just gait analysis and looking for deviations and that, and we don't necessarily have to address all those things particularly if people are you know moving in a improper biomechanically bio, bio inefficient way you know you only address something if you need to otherwise you know someone could be very strong going into dynamic knee valgus and they might have no p- knee pain at all and you could be doing them a disservice by d- by correcting their you know strong motor control into dynamic knee valgus Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, speaking of just that <coughs> in particular, um, it's kind of changed the paradigm. We've talked about FRC, Andrews being in here so many times. One of his, <clears throat> uh, no, it's not, I'm uh, sorry. Well, definitely FRC, Andrews Bina, he has his coaches who do this, but another individual, Ido Portel, who we also talked about, his one of his main coaches out in Israel, I think he has to handle Roy Gold or r-o-y-e underscore gold uh he's he's a beast of a man and he's his cover picture for his account is one of the most craziest things I've ever seen so imagine like two i think they got to be 18 inches box on either side of him he jumps and he the way he lands is he has his feet on the boxes and both of his knees collapse in and he's almost pretty much parallel to the ground so he's doing like full hip internal rotation and he's just holding that position there and so it's basically like an explosive valgus hold. Uh, and it goes against every biomechanical thing that we could ever say for the knee. And he's like one of the strongest persons I ever see do anything. Um, but anyway, so like for that, I, I think those are key things. Like that's all information, like the gait, um, their movement patterns. That's all information. And I think that's where we have to be careful what we pass on to the patient in the sense of this is all good information. But in terms of how it relates to your, quote, injury and pain, 
it's not going to be, you know, the cause of it. You know, us working with it is not going to be saying you're going to be in less pain because of it. We're just going to make you maybe more efficient movers and or the, with the pain, it's going to be A, B, and C. So, I mean, I feel like that's that, that's where uh, overall uh, I'm making a lot of generalizations, but I, I feel like that's where a lot of clinicians can get caught in the sense that like, they don't know where to go. It's hard because, I mean, look, the educational system is built on that biomechanical model. Patients, like as Matt just mentioned, you're the fifth or sixth person, and they've been fed that. So, I mean, here you go saying, you know, person saying, hey, I have to, it's this valgus on my knee. I mean, we got to fix this, you know. I'm I'm out of alignment. I mean, I, I probably hear it mm. three to five times a week, you know, out of alignment. And I, I try not to challenge that initially. Just let it simmer and figure out, all right, how am I? I was like, it's, it's okay. You know, your knee's a little different from the other side. As everybody else is, you know, it's okay. And and it kind of start decreasing the, the threat of this malalignment. <laughs> but, um, no, it's great that there's so many young therapists with this amount of information where, you know, we we kind of found, we, were, we lucked out. We found out about things early, but we were kind of in the middle of the fence, and now I think things have definitely turn, turned for the better, I, I think. Yeah, on this amount of information, Matt. Working with professional athletes, where where does it? Co- I, I don't think we spoke about it too much last time you're here, but um, if you do encounter a patient who's really at this point being in a professional athlete, they must have already gone through a lot of physicians and other practitioners, and do they have already preconceived notions about alignment and posture and stuff like that? Do you do you usually have a conversation with, or you kind of like tease it out? Yeah. So. Um with the pro athlete i the way the treatment starts is it's kind of the same as it is with every person like just trying to figure out what they think is wrong with them and what their understanding of the current situation is right Mm -hmm. um and then understanding how uphill of a battle i have to fight from there um with these guys a lot of times it they just come in let's take baseball for example because i see mostly baseball um they'll come in and they'll just say you know uh this is a pretty common one. We're seeing it more and more in pitchers now. They'll say, uh, so I have a lot of tightness here and here. Oh, people can't see where I'm pointing. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of tightness on the inside of my arm and the inside of my forearm, right? Um, so that's – we kind of find in Major League Baseball that that is a warning sign for a UCL injury. Yes. Um, and which is which is a big wow. a big deal. Right. Um, UCL being like the it's the ligament on the inside of your elbow uh, that leads to like you can get Tommy John surgery afterwards. Which I think actually Tommy John himself was in like an article recently saying I would not have that surgery. No way. Yeah, I saw it on ESPN. Take my name off of it. Yeah, which is which is not the most reliable source. But uh, yeah, so a lot of these guys are are having you know this this discomfort. And we're looking at it, and we're looking at it from a perspective of, like, okay, well, if you're throwing, you're an overhead thrower athlete, getting a lot of whipping at, like, your medial elbow. Well, if you have something else in your kinetic chain that's causing, you know, this this whipping, we're, we're like, we're, we're heavy on the fence about this. Like, we don't know if we should be treating, I mean, it's hard to say whether or not you treat the pro athlete differently than you do, you know, your weekend warrior or, like, everyday athlete. Because the level of fine-tuning is different. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about guys who have thrown a baseball. They've probably thrown on the scale of hundreds of millions of throws wow. over insane. the course of their life. It's just a <clears throat> lot of throws. And so the thing that they do, they have done for their entire lives. 
usually we can get to the bottom of it somehow. So like it, it will be something acute that changed and then it changed the habit for them. So what we'll do is we take video from like a year ago, we take video of right now and we see what if anything looks different. Wow, that's um, cool. That's cool. But it's <clears throat> but we are we we are like in this area where I'm saying to myself, like, if a kid just comes in and he's like, Yeah, you know, my back hurts and I've been playing basketball or whatever and that sort of thing, like I I do have a, a very biopsychosocial approach to that kid. Like mm-hmm. I say to myself, okay, well, like, do you like school? Do you have friends? You know, these sorts of things. Ask mm-hmm. him, like, obviously in a nice way. <laughs> <laughs> do you have <laughs> my back hurts? What? Stop. Do you have friends? Do you have friends? Do you like what they serve? Do you like lunch? school? Yeah, I mean, none of these kids oh, do. They don't like school. It? They all have friends. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I'm I don't I don't find myself asking like pro pitchers like, hey man, you know. I heard you going through a rough divorce. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it? Oh, oh man. I instantaneous you know, flare up of elbow. My elbow's good, man. Thanks. I'm out of here. Um, uh, we, we end up, we look at the video. We say, oh, man, like, you know, his, if we look at his video from a year ago where he was throwing 102 and throwing consistent strikes, we look at his video for now where he's throwing 98, which I know doesn't sound like a big difference, well, but definitely. trying to hit a 98-mile-per-hour fastball versus a 102-mile-per-hour fastball is like night and day. You're closing your eyes and swinging at the second one. Um you look at it and like maybe his plant legs. So when you throw when you throw a baseball, you ha- push off your back leg. You land on your front leg with a with a solid follow through. Okay, well he's got a significant amount of wobble on his stand leg now than he did before. If he can't land on that properly, now he has to change. He has to twist and change the way he's directing his torso. If he can't do that, he's trying to generate power from his arm and shoulder. That increases medial whipping at the elbow, and now everything in his medial compartment of his arm is hanging on for dear life. Eventually, that's going to get overworked and tired. And he's going to get a UCL injury. So th- this is—I uh, feel like this is like the perfect melding of what the biopsychosocial thing is. Like this is, I think, for a pro athlete, has to happen, right? Because you're talking about cellular level stress, and, repetitive stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you start, and that's where our expertise is as therapists. Is we can break down movement and also assess joint play, strength, things like that. Then you can be like, here are the big components to look at a big picture. But I, the other side of that is. Educating the person, saying like we're not correlating this with quote pain, we're co- correlating this with possibility, likelihood of injuring that tissue that it's not going to be that strong versus your hip, which is a little bit more robust, and we can kind of put more stress there versus your sure. just your elbow or optimizing performance like ninety eight to one hundred two, yeah. and being able to I mean perform. Forget about yeah, your elbow hurts, but your elbow hurts because you're you're out of your efficiency zone you know right. uh that's pretty cool cool how how that's fine fine tuning yeah i mean it's it's like we're actually implementing the something really similar now with our patients in terms of trying to show them that the way they move is the way they move and the way i move isn't the way you move and that sort of thing yes um so for example uh we we do see a lot of like elite runners um at the marathon level and we actually just started seeing a couple five k's and uh when they do, like, a single leg deadlift, right? Like, one girl's got extreme knee valgus. One girl's got so much knee varus. I've, I was like, I don't know how you walk, but yeah. good for you. Yeah. <laughs> you. You run at an insanely fast speed. She runs marathons faster than I could bike them, probably. Right. Um, oh, man. But, uh, yeah, so just watching them, then, you know, they're, I think a doctor told, you know, the, um, the valgus knee girl, like, you got to get that sorted out. You're not going to be running for very long. 
we do all this kind of strength, run specific strength and conditioning stuff that we've kind of developed, and she feels great. She's running 100% pain free. This is the first time in years she has been able to run like this. Wow. And the sad thing is that she's run like two or three marathons now, and she's like, I want to say like under a minute from Olympic qualifying time, but it's because like it's rained every time, uh-huh. or like one time it was like 102 degrees outside. Um, but she's she's gonna make it. She's gonna make it this year. Are uh, her times as good as they were when she wasn't paying attention to the, the running gate, or are they better? So, she's faster. She's faster now that she's not thinking about it. And the way we got her to not think about it was, I'm like, okay, do you f- how much strong and like, I had foresight on this. I knew this was gonna be a problem for her because the first time she came in, she was like, my knee bows in, and I'm I'm done. My running career is over. I'm like, mm-hmm. you're 20 something years old, man. Come on. <laughs> So we we took a video of her doing basic movements, single leg deadlift, squat. Um, we took slow motion camera of her running. Um, we took slow motion camera of her single leg and double leg jumping. Back pocket those things. And, like, down the road, you know, like, she, she's, she did rehab. She was 100% good. She now works with our strength and conditioning guys over at our clinic. She's feeling great. And I'm, I'm you know, but she's still kind of, like, worried about this knee bending thing. And I'm like, how do you feel right now? She's like, I feel great. I'm running faster than I've ever ran. Do you feel strong? I feel 100% strong. How's your knee feel? My knee feels great. How's your heel? She had a heel problem. How's your heel feel? Heel feel awesome. I feel 100% great. Mm. If it makes you feel any better, let's take a look at those tests that we did again. And we shoot video of them again, and it's the exact same thing. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Because, you know, those videos you want to instill change, right? Like, look at the way your knee's buckling. Yeah. It happened again. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Just the same amount of angle. Yeah. We're, we're standing there, and she's like, it looks the same. And I'm like... Wow, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> wow. But like we it's just we're not I'm I'm not gonna train her to run like someone else. Right. She she has she has been running since she could run. And like <laughs> <laughs> So who am I who am I to try to take even if I let's say I saw her once a week for a year. Yeah. Who am I to try to change something she's been doing for twenty something years? In in one year, like that, yeah. it's it makes, in five percent of the amount of time that she's been doing it for the entire entirety of. There's, there's I can't, you can't do it. Coach, strength conditioning coaches talk about this a lot. Like, are you what what kind of gains are you going to get from really pulling someone out of their uh, quote strengths and working on their weaknesses versus just mitigating their you know faults or whatever you want to call them, so they don't turn into or they don't snowball into something else and keep focusing on their strengths. So like. Something like this, it could just be her anatomy, her her uh, neuro patterns. She's very comfortable with it. When she starts to really push herself, she falls into these things. That's not necessarily bad. It's just she could do strength conditioning exercises to kind of mitigate the the losses or the uh, imbalances that could, over time, on a cellular level, break down, but not necessarily. I feel like that's like the hardest thing to, especially if someone's emotional and uh, attached to the sport. If you try to talk to them logical, like. This is what we could do. I'm not going to give you a, a blanket. You know, A does not equal whatever. So that, I feel like that's really hard. Definitely hard, especially as Matt said. You know, this is a pattern that's been there forever. And, and who are you? Ever since she change? could crawl. Right. And she's been crawling. All that, all that knee valgus <laughs> crawling around. Um, it's so wild. A lot of patients expect that knee valgus or that uh, lordosis mm-hmm. to kind of like, yeah, I'm looking at correct this or i'm looking to fix this and it's 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 what it's what you've been given you know it's all right Mm -hmm. but but it's also like and maybe you guys can speak to this um it it was actually in one of these articles to tie back to one of these but uh 
they talk about one of the leading roles of burnout being autonomy uh. um, and and like what you say goes right uh. so you know for for this girl or like if you look at the pro athlete and the the pro athlete you know they when by the time they get to me or a member of my team it's kind of, we're kind of like all else has failed what what can you guys do for me and and luckily we get them before like bad stuff happens to them like it totally just falls off the wheels but with these everyday people like i mean obviously i have less autonomy than you guys do as a pta but there a lot has been said to them and, a, and we talked about this already and a lot has already been done to make up their mind and i think the only way to fix that, and and I face this burnout right now. Like I, full disclosure, I may hundred percent have on my mind whether or not to get out of PT, and uh, it's just this idea that like no matter how smart I am, no matter how much I read, no matter how many con eds I take, no matter what I know, there will oh, my patient will always come in with a preconceived notion that what I'm about to tell them is not wholeheartedly the truth or what I'm about to tell them is not as right as the answer they previously got from some guy who's got two different letters after his name than we do. Correct. And like mm-hmm. that or or girl either way, but it, the the pro, that's that becomes a problem for me and and that so when a a pro athlete comes in and they're like team doctor said, you know, he's got re, he's got real bad plantar fascia, fasciitis and I'm like, you know, Okay, I mean, real bad. From from what? Like choking on steak? Uh, <laughs> but but like no, like come on, or like you know, is uh, I'll have like nerve damage. I'll have fifteen year old kid come in low back pain. Hey man, yeah, my doctor said it's from you know I've been wearing my backpack. I've been, oh my oh. god! <laughs> oh, Sorry, you don't want to. I would. Studying. Oh man, I t- okay. That's, yeah. I'm gonna lose it on that, <laughs> but no, there's like he's like yeah, my doctor says from jumping up and down playing basketball, and I'm like how how long have you been playing basketball for? He's like oh man, since I was a kid. I'm like you're still a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> years. I'm like how long? He's like, years. he's like yeah, man. My parents put me in basketball when I was five, and I've been playing ever since. And I'm like you ever have low back pain? No, and I'm like it's probably not basketball. Right. Like with, do you, do you hate where you go to school, buddy? Do you have any friends? Do you have any yeah, friends? <laughs> like, no, do but like, you eat lunch? Like, yeah, like, what else are you doing differently? That sort of thing. And, like, you know, right. it's – he like, we talk about it, and he finds, like, oh, man, there are maybe these couple things in my life that I need to do differently. And he makes those changes. He never misses a beat on basketball. But now we've got – I've got his buy-in. He knows that we can help him. And so now, like, you know, even from a business perspective, he is now so bought in. He's like – I want to participate in the strength conditioning stuff you guys offer, even if it's out of pocket. I mean, it's his parents' money, so it doesn't bother him any. But, <laughs> but like, but that's the sort of thing. And so, I don't know. I mean, with when I look at everything that tying this back to bio, when I look at everything that I'm doing as a clinician, when I'm looking at everything that our our field is doing compared to other fields, when I look at, I think I brought one with me. I just you guys don't keep researching your backpacks at all, or oh yeah, I got it. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, right here. Right so uh, so this one there was this one for like necks, shoulders, knees, whatever you want. But this is for acute low back pain associations with subsequent healthcare costs. Oh yeah, I think you showed this to me. And so like it is. Take a look at that. Here you go. Wait. It is just um. Oh, here's another one that shows direct access. It's cheaper than any other way to treat any kind of anything. We just spoke to that. We spoke to mm-hmm. Um, but it it says it's essentially like if the service I offer is cheaper. It can be just as accurate, right, 
And I don't want to pay for that article in the print. No, so, no, no, no. Yeah, you cool. just the no, I just I just go right here. Um, but uh, if what I'm doing is is just as effective, it's cheaper for not only people but health insurance companies too. So they should be 100 percent on board for this, right? And it gets and the research shows it gets people better. Why are you not listening to me? Why is everyone not like? Why am I not the guy that everyone turns to in the office? Because you get. An orthopedic perspective, you get a neurological perspective. For cardiac specialists out there, you provide the cardiac um, specialty to it. There's an, <clears throat> there is a there is a specialty now like OCS, SCS for almost every field now in PT, right? Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we spend more time with the patient than anyone else. So when you're post when you're in a post op ACL, and I have seen you for like 25 visits by now, and you finally and you go back to the doctor because he's canceled on you four times. Th- Talk to me. Like, shoot me an email. <laughs> Be like, hey, man, I know you've been seeing this guy. Not like, you need to work on flexion. Like, no, <laughs> man. Like, <laughs> the two-minute com, the two-minute appointment. Yeah, like, this is not you, – you need to talk to them about it. And, like, again, I think this is a, a big portion of this burnout. And I know we – this is something we want to talk about. But, like, I think a, I, I can't generalize for all the young therapists out there. But, like, this is something that's that's hitting me hard right now and, and realizing that, like – if I, I'm in the midst of, of making the consideration to do either DPT or MDDO and in making this decision, like, mm. I I want to be able to help people, and I can't help people if other people are unhelping them faster than I can help them. Well, speaking <laughs> over you almost, and it's not over you, it's just like you said, the um, the patient's perspective is, well, this is definitely the expert, this is the, the you know, this is the MD, and this is how it's going to go. And it's almost like white noise, what you're telling them. Um, But I I think, I think going back to what we were discussing about the relationship um, and this person buying into uh, your knowledge and I've been successful in that. I don't want to say talking over the doctor, but giving the other side and saying, Hey, I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong or right. Hear me out. This is what the research shows. Let's see how it goes. You know, let's just take it day by day, or you know, let's 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 give it some time. And I, but I, I have encountered that, and I usually write it all. I don't, I think I don't take it as personal. I used to take it personally, and but I think now it's like okay, you're gonna you. Some people will listen. Some people will pass you over. And um, for those that pass you over, you know, I'm not gonna just totally disregard them. I'll change my delivery method. And change it again and change it again. But, you know, some people were not going to be able... Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to help them all because of those barriers. But I see what you're saying, though. I mean, if you were that initial portion of contact, you know, and that also goes to PTs um, in general. I say as an industry in, in general, a lot of us went to school, again, well-intentioned, uh, but often don't have the marketing skills, don't have the communication skills, don't have... And some kid just just this this innate connectivity to say how the hell am I going to get this message? It, 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 suck, it suck, sucks to say this, but almost like there has to be a little bit of a salesmanship in there. And I think we've discussed this about fitness, and you probably witnessed this with a lot of trainers. They're great at it because these these tra- some trainers may be you know telling their patients that they actually have three arms, 
And they may believe it because they, they have that much buy-in to this person. And not to knock any trainers to tell their patients that they have three arms, but it, it's just the, the, the salesmanship um, that is something I think that the PT as a practice needs to work on. And again, it's, it's the allied health thing, right? It's the kind of satellite, oh, well, PT is just like one of a few other things that are kind of helping out this medical model of ours, you know? So hopefully we could change that, right? Us in this room, actually. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot to say because you, you mentioned you're even considering not continuing with physical therapy. So like 100% disclosure is I've had this conversation to myself probably like a dozen times and I've involved Eric in it a bunch of those times and Eric can definitely speak to the amount of times that it's like, I'm out I'm, I'm done I'm just I'm yeah. not gonna do this anymore this is yeah. ridiculous yeah. Yeah. I got too much money I owe and this is <laughs> not making any money um, but I, I think that's completely normal in the United States I think it's 100% normal for every physical therapist who is trying to do their best to go through that at least a couple of times that's one I also do think that if you were to look 15 years ago at our profession, these conversations about patient interaction and what we can do without insurance, things like that, they weren't even being done. So in terms of the progress that we've made, it's, it's, it's taken a long time for um, conservative management to get this far, and I think it's been a huge confluence of things. I like to use the line, uh, there's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. And <laughs> you all better batten down the hatches and prepare for it because it's it's it, this combination of the opioid epidemic, this uh, influence from other countries showing that surgeries aren't as effective as they thought they were. And then you have the implementation of neuroscience. And then you have more people saying there's a psychological component and you have all this evidence is kind of overflowing. And now people are trying to decipher it and figure out what to do. And it's on the front page. It's still being combated with like mainstream media like I had posted on my Instagram this and this uh, individual doing some idiotic stuff with uh, the backpack and talking to kids and stuff like that like that stuff's gonna still happen but on a whole I think it's 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 not gonna stop what our progress is not gonna stop in the sense that um, we're gonna get more autonomous we're gonna get more uh, attention with the patient, and then it will finally hit where it'll be more value on us with, let's say, the insurance companies. But I do think it does take the groups now who are coming right out of school. I've mentioned his name so many times before, Zach Gabor. Um, he he's probably the reason why I, I mentioned him is because he's the most noticeable right now, at least for me on social media. He's taking initiative and he's trying to uh, kind of recruit people to push this idea forward to make a change and, and giving them a way to do it, a method to do it. And I think that's key. I think there's going to be more and more people like that. And I talked to a lot of new grads who are already not working in clinics where they're accepting insurance. So stuff like that I think is going to be key. I don't know if you wanted to. Wait, where, do I, where do I chime in? There was uh, tons <laughs> of good uh, commentary there. Uh, I guess I advice for you. You know, I, I've been in that boat before just like uh, – Lee has, and uh, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about the future. You know, there's a lot of things that just flat out suck about where we are as a profession right now, and we've talked about those things. But man, the potential there—it's like our floor is here and our ceiling is so high. And you know, I'm I'm driven by that, you know, motive alone. You know, I do understand all these barriers to getting there, but. You know, I, like I said, I'm all in right now. You know, I pre I see a bunch of like-minded people, mm -hmm. and I see, 
you know, I enjoy the relationships I'm creating with those people. So I'm able to combat all of the, you know, the lack of autonomy and the demands with, you know, that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I get it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, and I, and it, this is not like, uh, I'm not just saying to say I think you're an extremely talented individual who has, you see things, you know, before you even finished up school that I don't even think seasoned therapists could see. Right. And the, yeah. the way you communicate with people, that that's rare. But I get it, though. You also want to feel, I, I get his point, and you also, you put all this time and money and effort and you want to be rewarded. The way I see it is kind of creating your own. We're talking about a system, right? And, you know, you don't have to be part of it. I mean, as you know, in in treating the individuals <clears throat> you, you treat, um, you you could create your own niche and basically make your own rules and create, create. I mean, going back to jujitsu and listening to uh, one of our instructors talking about, you know, you got to create your own path, you know, and if you don't see that path, you'll never take it. But, um, yeah, there's all these barriers and there's all this stuff and yada, yada, yada. It, yes, but ultimately you will come to a point where you're just, you pretty much want to work with the people you want to work with. And um, and typically those people will listen and, you know, these these, these barriers will disappear, you know. I mean, I mean, like I I hear the word you're saying, um, <laughs> yeah. but like I mean, there was a the the thing Eric sent to us the other day about um, the APTA lobby. Oh, oh yeah, we didn't even get into that. Yeah, no, it was like a rib. <laughs> it was like a rib shot that didn't feel great. Seriously, it was, and and there was a back. Did you see? I, I I couldn't finish. I, I, sh- I couldn't continue you, reading after. There's like, a follow the up on that. There's just just another rib. It's like a, a uppercut. So there was a well. So just to quickly, uh, like I I don't know what you're going to highlight about it, but there has to be another stronger, you know, representation of us. And I I think that's what's happening individually. And I think you know how things go. It seems that people usually get together to make stuff like this, and the fact that their speed is like slower than a sloth. They they'll they'll just continue to be left behind, and then there's going to be other people pushing for a strength and conditioning elective at a university, and there's going to be someone pushing for more direct access, and da 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 da. So it's like, it'll it'll I feel like it will come together. Yeah. So, histor. I mean, I was having this chat with another young therapist that um, <clears throat> was listening to the insurance, and I was telling him, hey, I sent them the article, and I said this is part of the reason, you know, it's it we're part of the reasons you know that the lobbying power is poor and he said you know it's a vicious cycle a lot of pts don't pay their dues so the organization does don't don't have the resources to do what they do and the people at the top of the food chain at these organizations are very old school and they're playing playing politics to large mills you know so they kind of they're not fighting for the the little guys or they it's a complicated political thing, but there was a follow-up uh, to that article, and it was as sad as uh, the initial thing. And it's just leverage, man. There's no leverage. And I think, again, it's part of the mindset of the average therapist that wants to help and wants to play nice and doesn't have that business savviness or that kind of like, I don't want to say killer instinct, but instinct to say, wait a minute, you know, it. it Ninety ten. What's going on here? Why? Why is it eighty twenty? You know, why? Why can't we push? 
But I think that'll change. I think what the new generation, as Lee mentioned, are very are, are leveraging social media uh, in a big way, and also very idealistic. Well, have a certain ideal on what, what they want to put out to the world, like yourself, like what you just said, like, hey, I really want to do the right thing, but I'm just running into this wall. Um, but walls are meant to be taken down. So, yeah, yeah, I, I guess, like, I guess, just like. When you're you, the governing body that like helps you to push this stuff is is just not they're, they're non-existent like right. it's, just, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Whereas like if you look at like the American Medical Association, Poof. I mean like I can get a I can get a drug pass in a week. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You know what I mean. Yeah. And that's and so I don't know. I guess if you if you look at it, the evidence is there. Like cost of care is lower if you see a PT first. So if cost of care is overall lower, then an insurance company could theoretically increase the reimbursement and still save money. So you could make it so we don't have to I – don't, I wouldn't have to go out of network. I would be happy to take your contracted rate if it allowed me to keep the lights on. Right. right. Well, this is unfortunately, as we know, certain organization, um, mm-hmm. how things change, right? It, it, it really starts with one person in a position as an influencer, a.k.a. an investor – an executive, uh, someone that has um, both economic and political pull. If you in, in, if you do the right thing by this person and, and show them what it can be, because maybe this person has had a different experience, and you're that you're the first person to change their perspective. I, I believe that that's how it's happened. I mean, as we've discussed without mm-hmm. discussing, um, that's how it happened, right? And they this large institution. Uh, that was run by an individual, uh, was treated by an individual that was well-intentioned, <clears throat> and that individual said, I admire what you did. You just avoided me getting X surgery. What's your idea? I'm going to back you. And With a lot of money. With a lot of money that continues to be burned. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, no, but it's but, true. Uh, it's like the right the right person at the right time. Yep, right. And, and that, I think, comes from consistency and and. And it's the demographic we're talking about, right? Um, even even with all the resources in the world, they, they've some of them had shitty care, unfortunately. And you know, it's like, wait a minute, where's your machine? Where's your ultrasound? Wait a minute. Um, and we're not talking about like you know, this, this uh, for people who might be listening, it might sound like we're very flaky and we're like throwing up all chips in the air. Hopefully, it lands over there. No, oh, yeah. I mean, we're that's why we 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 knew to do. We knew what we could offer in, in a setting like this. That's why we started the podcast. So yes, we can yes, offer yes. the pieces of information at a time. And then uh, Zach Abor, for instance, he, he did hardcore. He can offer it at like a system at a time, and he's reaching out countrywide. And you have other people kind of doing the same thing. So I feel like everyone is utilizing those tools in their own little way. They know what they're doing in that sense. So it's leading to this, you know, confluence of of collaboration that's going to affect a change but i think eventually there's going to be a conversation conversation had regarding this association and some actions that need to be taken because yeah even if every physical therapist were to give their dues then what are they going to do they're going to do the same thing they're they're not limited by the fact that they're lacking the dues they're limited by that mindset like that person said you it's an old mindset old mindset old school mindset and trying to do the same thing under a completely different environment right 
I mean, even in eight years, the environment's changed. I mean, four years, the environment's changed. What did you say about the model? The, oh I must have said <laughs> it a thousand. It. The old wait, wait, wait. The old model is dead. The old model is dead. <laughs> I said it a thousand times. And then when I left the old model, I was like, oh, shit. What about this new model? I got to do this all. Yeah, so. But it's it's, it's like, so much better. And I know it's, right now it's only limited to certain groups of people. But, like, the, the situation, at least I'm having, is extreme. It's extremely satisfying because you're getting – time with a patient you're getting that buy-in with the patient because it's it's a different scenario for them financially right they're they're going to be thinking about it very differently when they're in there with you and they're also usually in a certain position where they've kind of gone through the other part and they're like this is not valuable but, but a lot of patients I, i've deal with recently have been through they're like this is the last line one of a, a referral source that i have is often like the the last the last person, you know, this is the last person. And a lot of them are very resistant to what I have to say or what I'm going to do. And if they're referred by this particular person, you know, they, they do put a lot of stock in me, but there's a lot of skepticism. And they're like, well, why, why, where's this and where's that? And why aren't we doing this? And is this, a, and, and it takes, a, it takes a lot um, to, it takes a lot. Um, but it's like, you know, it's the science and the art. And it's, I think it's a little less science and a little more art, in my opinion. Uh, any other comments? Uh, if you guys, uh, if you had anything to say, uh, let us know. Or I, I, we have five questions we'd like to ask each of you guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Who, yeah. who we're going to start mm-hmm. with. So. Should we alternate? Well, unless they, can, they could group, because they'll give one of them a little more time to think. But go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, so whoever the, gets it, it's going to catch him off guard. That we weren't much. sent these ahead of time, right? <laughs> no, yeah, we didn't send them. No, ahead no, time. no. Okay. This, this is this, this guy, Lee's idea. He wants to, he wants to squeeze you guys here. Oh no! Hey. Uh, I love a good squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> you know, are you Get familiar the, with Inside the Actors Studio with James Lipton? No, is this like an old Tim Ferriss thing? man? Oh, oh my god, Tim Ferriss. No, Tim no, Ferriss. Uh, Tim uh, Ferriss has random. He has. He has random. Anyway. Regardless, look it up after the show. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna start with Jordan. What's your favorite anatomical term? Uh, I usually defer to uh, quadratus lumborum. Nice. Right. Just sounds cool. like a Harry Potter spell of some sorts, and patients like to hear quadratus anatomical lumborum. stuff. Nice. nice uh, Latin. Same yourself, question Matt? for you, Matt. Duodenum. <laughs> Duodenum. Uh, I think I lost. Duodenum. That was like Duodenum. that was also my favorite. Um, and then Jordan, what athlete inspires you most? It can either be like the sport of the athlete or the actual athlete. Ooh. Uh, well, growing up, uh, it was always Derek Jeter for me. You, uh, you know, Derek Jeter is the, the full personification of what it means to be a great athlete, but also a great person. Yeah. Unless there's some scandalous stuff that comes out about Derek Jeter in five wow. years. Wow. Uh, he has been a model citizen, a model, you know, New York Yankee, which is a team that I support. And, you know, growing up, everyone was trying to emulate his iconic throw from the other side of the diamond. So I got to go with Derek, Derek Jeter. Jeter. Good choice. He's a cool dude, yeah. Mr. The Liberty. Um, let me think. Uh specific athlete i think it would have to be see 
my childhood hero, so I like played baseball growing up. It actually, just got hit for something, so like, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he can't be. It can't be him. Oh no! Um, <laughs> <laughs> got hit for Everybody's getting hit these days. Yeah, though, I mean, it, it can't be him. Um, oh man! I mean, yeah, I, I would know. say. Uh, Okay, I, I mean, I got one. You guys are going to think it's ridiculous, but I'm wholeheartedly serious about it, so let me explain it. Hmm. Um, the U.S. men's Olympic curling team. Well, so, definitely ridiculous. All right. Cool. Okay, <laughs> hold on. So, so I'm, actually, I'm actually really big into curling. Like, right. I think this is a pretty awesome sport. Um, it's much harder to do than it looks. Like When I looked at it, I was like, I can use a broom, and I can stand on ice, so cool. I could do this. Um, we have a running joke that we're actually a few of the – uh, trainers in our, my office we're going to try out for the u.s men's olympic curling team dude um we have found out it is significantly harder than it looks yeah uh, i'm sure it's yeah there's so, a lot of knee valgus in there uh, a lot <laughs> <laughs> um go, go, go. like they blow on the stuff i i gave it a shot i gave it a shot like i don't know i want to say like six months ago or something like that and i woke up the next morning my shoulders hurt from sweeping so hard wow. <laughs> dude, um, that's awesome. so, wow. so a lot of respect to those guys um because they like if you look at them they don't look like elite athletes mm. but these they're slinging it man that stone is heavy like it's real so well, the guy got emotional recently i remember him getting oh, yeah. interviewed yeah US, u.s olympic curl yeah but i mean like during the olympics i'm out of my chair i'm off the couch i'm <laughs> yelling i'm throwing stuff that's great. I'm like, come on, like you got, you got to get it past the hog line, buddy. Let's go. <laughs> I got to learn the the ins and outs of it because that's, Same, that's one thing. I just see the stone, the broom, and then people screaming. Yep. Yeah, it's it's nuts. That's Very hilarious. intense. Yeah, that's cool. Man. I love it. Uh, next question, and I'm glad you two are here. Pickle Rick, Tiny Rick, or don't know. What's in the syringe, Beth? <laughs> <laughs> I actually think I was talking to you the other day about Pickle Rick and how I just, you know, that was one of my favorite episodes. So I'm I'm going to put all my chips on Pickle Rick. Nice. Mr. Uh, Liberty. Um, I listened to a lot of emo music growing up. Uh-huh. So in the uh, Tiny Rick episode where he's like, I know, that was a bad phase. <laughs> 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 just like in general is a bad phase. A lot of skate shoes. I've never been on a skateboard in my life. Uh-huh. Um, but in, the, in like Tiny Rick, he's like, you know. I'm not okay. <laughs> this is not a song. I'm really hurting inside. Yeah, it's so like I'm dying on the inside. That's not a metaphor. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have to go with Tiny Rick. I'm Tiny that's, Rick. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Did you hear about the Emmy? No. Yes. They got the Emmy for Pickle Rick. It was like the best. You got to look that up. It was awesome. Yeah. I was like so oh psyched. Oh, my God. I reposted that. I was like, this dude's killing it. I love it. <laughs> oh man. Um okay. He's uh let's see. Next one. If you were to meet yourself 15 years ago, what advice would you give yourself? Loaded. Yeah. You know, originally I was going to say don't go into physical therapy. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, I you know, I'm I'm holding back because you know, I'm still happy with where I'm at in my life as a whole and you know what I'm able to do with my patients so I wouldn't I wouldn't say that but I think I would tell myself you know to to trust the process a little bit enjoy what life has to offer you know like I said for with patients things don't manifest in a day and neither neither is the the case with life like I want to be you know even more successful and you know getting more patients better you know sooner but you know my path is just a little bit different than everyone else's path. And just because I'm not there right now doesn't mean I'm, I'm necessarily a failure. So, you know, just trying to keep that mindset and keep on the path that I'm going. You know, I think when 
I'm pretty sure that one day the it's going to bear some success for myself. Nice. Nice, man. That's a big one. Um, mm. I like this is actually something I thought about. Uh, I think I would. Oh man, it's it's hard. It's like fifty fifty between like giving myself the advice to just not go into medicine at all, or uh, get into it as soon as you can. Like um, in in undergrad, like I had this thing where I really didn't know if I wanted to get into medicine or not, even though I'd wanted to do it my whole life. I kind of went back and forth, and obviously we're here, so I did it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I th- like, I I think I would tell myself like, don't second guess it. Just go 100 percent into it because like the moments the moments where you do feel like you're doing something, it's the five percent of the time that you feel incredible about it. It the it, the other 95 percent doesn't exist. Like it's correct. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I would tell my my. What would I be? Fifteen, twelve-year-old self. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, like, what? Who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah. um, I would say, stay, stay, stay away from the cookies. And uh, I, was a, I was a chubby kid, and uh, getting the farm to table. Go home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eat organic. Eat organic. You start that trend early. Yeah, That's man. right. Buy stock on Amazon. Uh, yeah. Oh. What's Amazon? <laughs> uh, oh shit! All right, last question. Uh, What's your best athletic achievement? Uh, first thing that comes to mind is um, 11-year-old uh, all-star Little League MVP. Nice. Oh, hey. uh, yeah, I, I kind of crushed it. I almost hit a home run that game. I got the MVP. Sweet. Uh, man, and again, I had like B cups at the time. Because really? I was also a chubby kid. <laughs> uh, I'm like, B cups. What? Yeah, wait, wait, wait. wait. Oh, I should have prefaced it with the fact that I was I was a pretty chubby kid. Um, yeah. That's Same here, brother. Uh, let's see. Uh, you guys know who Zach Wheeler is? Yes. Oh. That was a hard yes by Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm fanboying so hard. Uh, uh, I hit a foul ball off him, like in a baseball game. Who's um, Zach Wheeler? He's uh he pitches for the Mets now. Yeah. Oh wow! Look at uh, this. That's crazy. Jesus. But this was uh back in the day. Um, so there's like this like. Premier League kind of thing that you play in in um, back in Rhode Island. It's like a big Northeast thing. It's called American Legion, mm-hmm. and uh, he had pitched at, at the time. I had no idea who he was, um, and he I think he threw like like an eighteen strikeout game or something. It was just not right. That's uh, crazy. But uh, yeah. I hit a foul ball. If it was fair, it was gone. Like, That's awesome. And by that I mean I drove that thing so hard into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a full blown tomahawk, but uh, yeah. So foul ball off of a kid who would you know ten years later be a professional major league pitcher. So. Damn. That's cool, man. Yeah, wish I kept that ball. I actually have a ball in my room that's just from that game, but not that ball. But I pretend it's that ball. So. Yeah, I would say it's that ball. <laughs> yeah. Who's gonna know? Yeah, no one will. <laughs> I signed it myself and everything. Very cool, man. That's awesome. Well, we're going to be wrapping up shortly, but if there's anything we didn't cover, um, we could probably go on for another hour and a half. Another hour and a half. But um, I know that we we went tangential as we normally do. Um, But, Jordan, anything you want to – any closing remarks? Uh, Yes, yes. Um, You know, first of all, Awesome opportunity. I had a, had a bunch of fun doing this, and you know it would be no different if we were at a bar somewhere having a couple of drinks. Exactly. We still talk shop, and that's what I that's what I really appreciate about this experience. But 
I'd say to the patients out there, you know, or prospective patients or anyone experiencing pain, you know, first of all, if you're having trouble getting out of pain or, and you've, you know, you think that the system has failed you for so long and no one's really addressed your problem, you know, this is an advocation for physical therapy, but there's a lot of, you know, brilliant individuals that can really offer you a different perspective on your pain. Ultimately, just understand that when people, when you're in pain, your tissues or and your system just failed to adapt to, to the loads of whatever activities you're doing or whatever life stresses or stressors are placed on you. And we're going to help you, you know, gradually get back to the things that you love to do. So, you know, always keep physical therapy in the back of your mind. It shouldn't be in the back of your mind. It should be in the front of your mind, <laughs> rather. But, yeah, we, we're, we're capable of doing, you know, some amazing things. And even in the short period of time that I've been practicing, you know, it's been rewarding, and I'm just hungry for more. Well said. Cool. Um, yes, I guess my turn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone turned and looked at me. Um, yes, Matt. Sir. <laughs> you, can, you can do like a Ric Flair thing. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no bass left in these headphones after that. Oh, um, that's hilarious. Uh, so, uh, yes, yeah, so my second time on. So. Thank you guys so much for having me back. I wouldn't have had me back, so thank you so no, much. We're, we're gonna have both of you guys back. Yeah, I mean, dude. We, we, this, uh, this is the uh, the number one, so there's definitely gonna be number two. Yeah, exactly. Oh, this is the, the square round. table discussion, not the round <laughs> table. PTs. Well, we might, we were actually thinking of changing the name of the podcast to PTs of the Square Table. That's right. That's yeah, very cool. Thank you guys. Uh, very insightful, and we're really lucky to have both of you. Thank you for your time because you guys could be treating patients or drinking beer or whatever you want to do. Mm. Um, but thank you guys for coming. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks. You had anything else to say? No, nah, man. Um, that's that's good. I mean, like, uh, the only thing else I was going to say was if you if you are a patient and you're deciding whether or not you are at a good PT place, because I've had a lot of people ask me, how do I know good PT right off the bat so I don't have to burn 10 visits? When you go for the eval, if you say something to the therapist and in the first 30 seconds he starts talking to you or cutting you off, respectfully leave because that is not the type of place where they're going to listen to you, where they're going to acknowledge what is going on and help you through it because they're just, they're just seeing you as a diagnosis. And we know this, there's been research on this. We know about the 20 second rule. We know about all this. So first talk to them. And if they don't feel like, if you don't feel like you're being heard, you're not very good. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to put a plug for a book that I read in my first year of practice. Remember the mindful therapist? Oh yeah, I totally forgot so about that. That's just like, this, this kind of I, I wanted to bring it up. Powerful. I didn't want to cut. One of you guys was discussing it, and then um, I read a book. I was recommended a book by a course that I a pre a course that I was um, taking. They wanted us to read this before we got to the course. It was called A Mindful Therapist uh, by Dan Siegel, and he's a neurobiologist. So he's a, he's a psychiatrist by trade, but um, anyway. The mindful therapist and what's in there is the therapeutic relationship and how what what Matt just mentioned, the ability to actively listen to a patient and developing uh, that rapport is paramount to anything. And it ties right into pain science. I mean, this, this particular individual, Dan Siegel, doesn't go into pain science, but he talks about the therapeutic relationship. And it has been probably you know, one of the top five books that I've read that's changed the way I practice as an early therapist. So Mm -hmm. The Mindful Therapist, Dan Siegel, great book. I totally forgot about that book. Good stuff. It it ties right into 
what Matt's comment right now of, of having a PT or a healthcare provider not listen to you. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's horrible. But there are a lot of great therapists out there that will listen to you and uh, look us up. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Awesome. We're definitely going to do this again. Uh, for all your listeners out there, if you haven't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which we're going to be posting more videos on. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and obviously Instagram. Uh, but thank you guys again. It was a blast. Signing off. Yeah, signing Thanks. off. Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 